welcome to the Dr. Dion Show, where real conversations about diversity matter. I'm an educator and consultant specializing in diversity and inclusion. In this show, I interview top experts and people like you and me, highlighting issues like race, gender, and disability. I'm here to create change, expand your understanding of what diversity means, and to continue the mission toward equality so that everyone has a fair shake. This show is not for the faint of heart, so put on your big girl and big boy pants and ride along. Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Dion Show. I am really excited to be joined today by, I consider one of my friends, Miss Sylvia Longmire. We met some years ago at uh, the National Association of Hispanic Journalists Conference. We were both actually selling our books and presenting our books there. And uh, we just hit it off, uh, had dinner. I think it was downtown Atlanta, correct, uh, afterwards? Yeah. And, um, and we've just kept in touch. And I think uh, you'll be excited to hear what Sylvia's up to these days. It's really fantastic. Hi, Sylvia. Hi, Dion. <laughs> How are you? I'm fantastic. So thank you so much for having me. <laughs> well, I'm really excited to have you on. I think what you, who you are and what you do is inspiring. And I think um, the listeners today will definitely benefit from what, from what you have to say. Thank you. I hope so. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So, so how about we start off by just telling people who you are. Give a little synopsis of who you are. Sure. Well, I am a service disabled veteran. Uh, I was in the Air Force for eight years and I was medically retired in 2005. I'm a subject matter expert on Mexico's drug war. So I've been doing that for 13 years after I was medically retired. I went to work for the state of California and then became an independent consultant, uh, started my own business. So I've been a, a businesswoman for many, many years. Uh, I also run a nonprofit. Uh, we provide scholarships to kids who have either multiple sclerosis or a parent with MS. And actually, I'm going through a stack of scholarship applications like this high right now. Awesome. Um, rewarding our scholarships in a few weeks. Um, and then I'm also a traveler. I'm a travel addict, travel junkie, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so I'm an accessible travel blogger. I've been writing about my travels all over the world, and I'm up to uh, 40 countries that I've hit so far, and 23 of those with a disability. Uh, and finally, I have my own travel agency. I've been doing that for almost a year. I'm actually celebrating my one-year anniversary in a couple of weeks of opening my travel agency, and I make uh, arrangements for primarily wheelchair users so they can travel around the world just like me. Well, congratulations. And let's talk about that a little more because um, it's called Spin the Globe, correct? Yes, and so you... Uh, so you, you do live, you, sorry, I didn't say you live, you, 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 how, sorry, you teach me, please. Okay. How, what's the best way to say? So you use a, a wheelchair to function. How, how, how would you describe? I do. Um, I've been using a wheelchair full time for about four years now and multiple sclerosis is a progressive disease. So I was, you know, I would say about maybe five years ago, I was still walking a little bit, but then, you know, I started using a cane, then a walker, and then a power wheelchair. So at home, I use just a, a power wheelchair. It's comfortable. It's got a little joystick and I get around. But when I travel, I use an electric scooter and that offers me a degree of flexibility. The scooter comes apart and it can go in a trunk. I'm able to, I do have function, like upper body function total. Um, and I can't lift my legs, which is why I can't walk. But fortunately, I'm able to stand up. Uh, which means that I can live alone, I can travel alone. I usually actually travel by myself. Um, wow. So I can transfer into a bed, into a toilet, into a shower bench and all that, you know, all that day-to-day -day living stuff. Um, but uh, so yeah, so I have to use some kind of motorized device. I do have a manual wheelchair and I use that when somebody else can push me because uh, MS makes you tired really quickly and I just don't have that upper body strength like some manual wheelchairs use, 
uh, users uh, have. Yes. Uh, so plus, we get hurricanes a lot in Florida. I don't know if you ever heard that. <laughs> no, never heard about it. <laughs> so if we get a big thunderstorm or we get a hurricane and I lose power uh, and I can't charge my chairs and I have that manual chair as a backup for emergencies too. So, so can you take us back for a second? So, so, so you're a mom. Yeah. Uh, you're a veteran. You're in the Air Force. You just, you just shared. So, so you um, and and you're now you now use a wheelchair to to, to function. Um, when did you get that diagnosis? Like, how, can, can just in terms of, can you help us understand what was it like to 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 um, be a vet, to be in the to serve in, in essence that way, and then to have that 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 diagnosis? And because I'm I'm asking you because when we met, you were in, you were in a wheelchair, and um and we spoke, and you know your strength just you you exuded strength from your position. You never had this. Oh, what was me? Oh God, no, no. <laughs> not at all. And I and I and I felt that from you. And I'm just and I would love to hear, uh, you know, where that comes from, and 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 how did you how did you handle that when you got that diagnosis? Sure. Well, MS takes a long time to diagnose, and I started having symptoms two over two years before I was actually diagnosed, which was in 2005. I had been in the Air Force for just over eight years. Uh, and I started having symptoms. I lost vision in one eye, and then I started having some numbness and tingling, um, but I had to get several tests. You know, I spent a lot of time getting MRIs. I had to get a spinal tap done. That was a lot of fun, um, and go through, it was a two and a half, almost a two and a half year process to get the official diagnosis, and then I was medically retired from the Air Force, so I get a pension from the Veterans Administration. That's awesome. Now, uh, because of the way MS works, the first symptom that I had is one of the most common presenting symptoms of MS. So you go on the internet and you look up optic neuritis and it says MS and then you kind of freak out, you know, you lose your stuff. Um, and that was kind of when I started going through that grieving process that people mm -hmm. with, you know, cancer or any other kind of disease, you know, all the tears and what am I gonna do and how is this gonna work out? And you don't have any answers because I had the optic neuritis but I didn't have anything else. And mm -hmm. it's a while for the for the MRIs to start showing things and that was the hardest part was the waiting because I can't go on treatment until I have a diagnosis and it took two years so it is different for me because a lot of wheelchair users they're born needing a wheelchair they have something like muscular dystrophy or um, cerebral palsy or uh, you know, like an SCI what we call a spinal cord injury patient somebody who gets in an accident and one day they're walking and the next day they're paralyzed. You know, I don't know how I would be able to handle that. So uh, mm -hmm. I consider myself a strong person, but there are other people that deal with a lot worse than I can. I have a lot of body function and I'm able to do things that other people in wheelchairs can't and I never take that for granted. And so I've had the time to emotionally and psychologically adjust to the changes mm -hmm. that my body is going through over time. Okay. Um, so it's a lot easier to be strong when you don't have to deal with stuff you know overnight I understand. that being said i'm still the same person i am now in a wheelchair that i was before when i was playing volleyball and going skiing and and you know and running and, and doing all the things that i was doing as an active you know, able-bodied normal person so that helps a lot um a lot of folks who have disabilities that affect them severely um, have to deal with a lot worse than i've had to deal with as far as people staring at them or challenges in day to day, having to rely 100% on someone else to feed yes. them, feed them, clothe them, you know. So I consider, as a wheelchair user, I consider myself incredibly lucky 
to be in the situation that I'm in, which sounds kind of weird. So, well, you can't walk. Why are you lucky? I'm like, you don't understand. My life is much better than a lot of people who can walk and they take things for granted and don't, don't take advantage of the things that life has to offer. You know, I see an opportunity and I seize it where some people just go, well, I can do that next year. Or I can do that later. And you have no idea what your life is going to be like. And I love that. And let's talk about that. So, so, so you're speaking to somebody, you said you've been, you've been to how many countries, 40 different countries, 40 different countries, 23 of those with my scooter, <laughs> which is incredible. So, so here you're talking to somebody who has, who, who's, who's not um, using a wheelchair to get around and you've visited more countries than I have. And, and what is life about? <laughs> Life is about adventure. It's about about experiencing new things, and and so I would say, in terms of you know, you're way ahead of the, the me. <laughs> so, so 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 to your point, you know, I, I, it's it's great that that um that your MS has not kept you back, and and you're just you're just doing your thing, and I love it. And let's and let's talk about the business aspect. So 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 when we met you, as you said, you you were um you're you're on air, you're going on air on on television, and also on commenting on radio and so on, talking about um, border control. And I was curious to know how you made that pivot to this to the to this to this area of uh, spin the globe and sure. so you want to talk about that for a second it was and it was so crazy now i've been doing this drug war thing for a long time um and it's not particularly uplifting i mean i'm i'm writing all the time about drug trafficking weapons trafficking human smuggling it's very depressing and whenever I do things, you know, it's part of what led me to military service. I always feel like I have to do something bigger than myself and do something for um, the benefit of, of, of the masses, I guess. So I was able to do that with my military service. And with my writing about the drug war, I felt that I had the knowledge and the expertise and the platform to write books and go in the media and educate people about what's happening and why all the violence is happening and hopefully make some little change, whether it's a policy change, whether it uh, it influences somebody to stop using uh, marijuana, it's, you know, it's some kind of drug or whatever because it's financing violence or whatever, you know, down uh -huh. south, whatever the case may be. And after a dozen years of doing that, I got burnt, I'm getting burned out. I still, I still like what I do. I still love writing and I have um, a wonderful editor and I've been writing for, for in Homeland Security for American Military University. I've been writing for them for a couple of years and I absolutely love it. Um, they're, they're very supportive and I'm going to keep doing that. Um, but it's, it's hard. It, it's, you know, it, it's very depressing work. So when I got divorced and then I moved to Florida, uh, to be near my family and, uh, you know, I'm living on my own now. And I found that I had all this free time, uh, because my kids are not living with me full time. Uh, I said, you know what, I've always loved travel and I wasn't able to do very much travel for the last, you know, 10 years or so. I have the time, I have the money. I'd like to get back to that. And I had been traveling with my scooter for consulting for just, but in the U.S., going to conferences and work stuff. But it was like quick two and three day trips. So uh, my first international trip is, you know, go big or go home. That's like the story <laughs> of my life. And I have, um, I have uh, some friends, they're a married couple, and they were living in Dubai for a little while hmm. as professors. And they always said to their friends, hey, you know, come and see us, come and see us. And I'm like, all right, be careful what you wish for. So um, a free place to stay, that's the way I looked at it. And <laughs> Emirates Airlines had started nonstop service from Orlando to Dubai um, huh. that year. And I said, well, you know, there so you go. go big or go home. My first international trip as a full-time wheelchair user, and I went to Dubai. And fortunately, I wasn't, you know, I flew over there alone, but I had friends to stay with, and it was incredible. And that really just kind of started this avalanche because I, 
A couple of months later, I went to Alaska on a cruise with my best friend. Um, and then later that year, I went to Iceland by myself. And a couple months after that, I went to Sydney by myself. And it just kind of, you know, the, the bug that bit me when I was a child, you know, kind of resurfaced as far as travel. I love um, that. And yeah, I had been writing, I'm a writer, that's what I do. And I said, well, you know, if I'm doing all this traveling, why, why I should be writing about it. So I got inspired by other uh, accessible travel bloggers and uh, started the blog and writing, I, I wasn't getting paid. I'm, you know, the blogging is, is uh, you're suffering for your art. Not many yes. bloggers that get, that get paid for that. Um, but that was when I really started to feel like I was making a tangible, difference because I would write about the accessibility of these places and I would get comments and emails and even now like it almost brings me to tears that I get comments on social media or on my blog from people like uh, who, who say things like you know Sylvia thank you so much for this I never thought that I could travel either people in wheelchairs who have children or spouses or, or whatever and oh, nice. I never thought that I could travel and because of this like now I, I have the courage to to visit you know or, or knock things off my bucket list so, and, and that to me is tangible and it's uplifting and it's positive. I love that. So, 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 yeah, so, so can I ask you, so what, so let's say you want to go to a particular place. So you go, do you go online and, and research is there actually, are, are companies uh, supposed to, are they expected to kind of declare whether they're, they're wheelchair accessible? How, how do you know, like, how do you know what you're going to encounter? Of course you can't, I guess you can't necessarily, be a hundred percent sure what, what what you're going to encounter. But what do you do? Like if I, if I come to you and I say, you know what, I want to go to this particular country, and and um, I need your assistance uh, because I'm, I'm I'm also using a wheelchair. Right. What's your process? Like how do you how can you help somebody? And how do you know about just I mean little things like just just being able to walk into a store, going to a store, and and are, are, the, are the aisles wide enough? How do you yeah. how do you know all that? Well, it's it's a lot of work. Uh, people who can walk have it pretty easy. If they want to visit, let's say Paris, you know, they can go to the tourism board and find out all the things there are to do. You can go on Pinterest and on, on Google and you can search things to do in Paris and come up with a million ideas. For wheelchair users, information on the accessibility of places, especially outside of the United States, is hard to come by. I take, thank God I'm a professional analyst and a professional researcher because it takes hours and hours. Really? So, some cities uh, around the world are better than others about, um, some of them have uh, separate websites or pages on their tourism website that has accessible huh. places to visit, places to go. Uh, Vienna does that, Frankfurt in Germany does that. So some countries are getting the idea. I mean, to give you an example, 19% of people around the world have some sort of disability. And people with disabilities, 88% of people with disabilities travel every year and we spend 17.3 billion dollars every year on travel alone. So if companies- 17.3 billion. Billion every year. That's wow. what we spend on travel. So you talk about a big market and in the United Kingdom, they call that the purple pound. Um, and huh. in my opinion, you know, not enough businesses and not enough tourism boards are, uh, are catering to that. And those that do are making bank. I mean, and we have- <laughs> We have money and we're ready to spend it, but not enough people are catering to us. Now, what I'm seeing in Europe is every year more and more accessible tour companies that are catering to us. And I find those doing my research. So uh, I've been to pretty much every country that has 
good accessibility as it is, you know, I, and even in Europe, there are a lot of places like that where I can just go and not have to worry about a tour company. Uh, but Eastern Europe is not the same. So once I find a country that has an accessible tour company, I just go. I'm go actually going to, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to Budapest in Hungary. A few wow. years ago, I wouldn't have been able to go there, but now there's an accessible tour company. The city's making more of an effort to improve accessibility. In September, I'm going to Prague in the Czech Republic and to Bucharest in Romania. Again, both of those countries have individuals who have started these companies that have wheelchair vans. They have routes picked out that they know where the, the pavement is flat, where there are accessible toilets, restaurants that I can get into. Um, so there's still a lot of obstacles, but fortunately there are more people like me too who blog and yes. either on blogs or in forums. So you start doing searches and you come across the experiences of other people. Facebook groups, there's an accessible travel club, a Facebook group that has over 4,000 people and they're all wheelchair travelers. So you go on the, oh, you go on there and then you type in, you know, Budapest or whatever, and you see all the posts that people have written about their experiences there, what hotels they've stayed in. Um, so it's a network, but it, it's still, it takes a lot of work. I love there's, that. No, there's no central area that tells you all about the accessibility of a, of a specific place unless you're writing a blog like mine. So, so let's talk about a little more about, about you, you just said that not enough people are catering to us. Mm. which is a pretty, it's a, it's a pretty profound and deep statement. And, and while it's, it's lucrative, clearly $17.3 billion um, every dollars yeah. every year that, that are spent, isn't there a, 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 a humane aspect to this or just a human factor to this that, just, that the businesses just on their own should say, you know what, um, people who use wheelchairs are, are also people too. And so therefore we should actually cater to them despite the money, but is, is, is not important uh, for, 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 for you to be able to, to, to move freely the way everybody else does? Well, and that's the, that's the interesting thing is that people don't think about us and it's, we're the largest minority in the world, but we're invisible. Uh, you have businesses, the media companies who cater to whether it, other minorities, whether it's uh, people of color, whether it's LGBTQ, uh, what, you know, whatever the minority is, women, women are, the minor, are the majority technically, but um, as far as certain things, you know, whether they cater to women or, or other specific groups of people. Um, but we're largely just not thought of. And it's not because it's intentional. Let's say, for instance, I go to a restaurant in the United States and it's, it's accessible. It's ADA, uh, Americans with Disabilities Act. It's got a flat entry into the restaurant. Um, you know, I'm able to move around. There's wheelchair parking in front. But I go to the bathroom, and there are uh, high chairs for the kids stacked in front of the door to the bathroom, and I can't open it far enough to get my oh, wheelchair. Wow, that's very common. Now, that's yeah, and now it happens all the time. And or I go to like a, a restaurant or like Panera or you know something like that, and I go to get the utensils or the straws and they're pushed all the way to the back of the counter so a person in a wheelchair can't get them. Uh, these are not things that fall under the ADA, but it's a convenience thing. Yes. So, you know, it, so again, people don't think about us, like, well, would a person in a wheelchair be able to get in? Or would they be able to reach this? Uh, things on the sidewalk, A signs that are advertisements that are blocking the sidewalk where a person could walk around, but a person in a wheelchair can't. So that's the biggest challenge is that the laws are there for things like ramps and parking spaces and structural things, but the psychology or the, 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 social, the, the way that, uh, that society works is that we're still invisible and people don't automatically think of us when they make 
decisions about uh, our convenience or accessibility. And, 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 that's the, yeah. and that's the importance of diversity and inclusion. So yeah. that it's not just having people who, who use wheelchairs in, in the workplace, um, but including them in the conversations and those decision making. Yeah. Because if you have somebody that's there and say, hey, you know what, you made this decision, however, you, you didn't consider my perspective or my experience, uh, then, then that, that kind of just, uh, the resu end result is, is what you're talking about. So I really think that there's, there, there's, there's uh, a problem that needs to be addressed in terms of just inclusion. And, and that word invisibility, it's, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's sad. Um, we're not very, we're not a very vocal group, you know, like other minorities that have, you know, marches and protests and they're very vocal and very visible. And I envy that, you know, but you know, you look at our circumstances. One of the reasons that we're invisible is because there's a lot of wheelchair users can't get out and about because the infrastructure is not there. Um, yes. Their public transportation is insufficient or like I live in Orlando and there are buses everywhere, but some of the bus stops open up to grass, you know, there, it, it's not, um, you can't get on and off very easily. Orlando is very spread out. We don't have enough wheelchair taxis and getting a wheelchair van is extremely expensive. Um, so uh, if we were able to get out and about more, if the infrastructure was there, if businesses were more welcoming to us, hey, we'd be out in force. And people say, well, I don't see wheelchair users here very often. Like, well, make it, yeah. <laughs> you know, make, make it easy for us to get there and we'll go because we're here but we're not out and about as much as I you know as we should be and I think that's part of the reason that people say well you know why should I bother to fix this ramp no wheelchair users don't come here I'm like duh oh yeah why do you, why do you think that is you know yeah. if you advertise that it's wheelchair friendly we'll come because we have the money that's and right People assume wheelchair users are all on disability and we're all broke and we're poor. And you know, look at the baby boomer generation. Not all wheelchair users are people, are people with diseases or right. Yep. Um, the, the more and more, the majority of people in wheelchairs or using mobility aids are retired and they're older and they have money. Um, so you got to cater to the growing, you know, baby boomer population too. Um, again, you know, folks don't think about that because we're just not out and about as much as we could be. So. So what you what what would you suggest in terms of changing this this um, this state in terms of, of how people are treated uh, people with disabilities are treated and viewed? What would you suggest needs to happen? Gosh, so many things. Unfortunately, a lot of it has to do with money. You know that you have the law, and a lot of buildings don't want to improve accessibility until they get sued uh, because if nobody complains, right. we're not a group that complains. We you know uh -huh. we we've, we've gotten to a point that a lot of us have gotten so defeated by the situation you know, around us that we just we're tired of fighting so we just don't do it anymore and we go oh well and we just go somewhere else and that for me you know it, that drives me crazy i go to hotels where i I, yeah, I had this issue with a hotel in fort lauderdale a few weeks ago and it was infuriating that it was the bed was too high now the bed doesn't fall under the law so that's up to the hotel but they refused to help me and i, really? I just yeah, they, they, they didn't. What do you mean they refused to help you? They couldn't lower the bed because the bed was on a platform and the platform was attached to the box spring. I asked them, you know, can you bring a roll away bed? No. Can you lower the bed? No. You know, we suggest, wow. you, stay at, we suggest you go stay at another hotel. Yeah. No. It was, yeah, it was, it was pretty bad. Uh, what so, did you call that, Sylvia? What's that? What did you say? Did you give it to them? What did you, what did you I say? I told him I was going to write a blog. I told, I gave him a heads up. I was going to write a blog review and he took that as a threat. Good for fortunately, you. Yeah. Fortunately, another manager stepped in 
she used her personal vehicle to bring a rollaway bed from another property. Oh, wow. Um, at least I was able to, to get some sleep. But I couldn't move to another hotel room because they were all booked. I was there for a conference. Um, but That's yeah, awesome. it was, it was absolutely awesome. terrible. Um, so some of it is some of it is the money um, because some hotels again. Oh, that was that was the clincher. That manager told me, well, no one has ever complained before. Wow. And it was so condescending because that makes me feel like, well, no one's ever complained, so you shouldn't be complaining. That's right. I, I've had that happen many times before. I'm like, you don't know who you're dealing with. <laughs> um, so, you know, and, and that review, let me tell you, that review's gotten a lot of views on my blog. Um, Good for you. But, uh, but anyway, so part of it is money. is just that businesses don't want to spend the money if they're not legally required to um, to put in a ramp or hotels don't want to order special beds for their accessible rooms. They just buy the same furniture across the board for all the rooms no matter what. Um, so that's part of it. And part of it is society's attitude. Um, we're, I'm lucky, you know, here in the United States, Americans are curious. And I get total, I get total strangers that come up to me at airports or in public. I've never seen these people before. They'll just walk right up to me and just say, oh, so what's wrong with you? Or what happened to you? Wow. I just look at them. I'm like, you know, so what's your, what's your medical history or sexual history? Quick for a quote, you know, you tell me something personal. And it's so bizarre that just these total strangers come up to me and start asking me about, you know, why I can't walk. Yeah. Um, but another, but that's tame. Like in other countries, I was in Hong Kong in February and a, a man walked by me at a museum and looked at me like with disgust. Like, wow. like I should, like I was, you know, gum on the bottom of his shoe. It was, it was disgust. Oh. And I was, you know, I was like, whatever. And it's because um, the, uh, the certain groups of the Chinese, they believe that if you have a disability or in a wheelchair, you did something in a past life and this is your punishment. Um, no. So, so when you travel, a lot of it is cultural. Yeah, in uh, in Asia, uh, in certain Asian countries, um, anybody who's in a wheelchair or has some kind of physical deformity or whatever, um, it's considered shameful. So they keep wheelchair users at home; they're never out in public. So if you go visit, then you get you stare you get stared at a lot. I didn't know that. Um, so yeah, you know, it just it depends on the place. So those are things that it's not just American society. You know, I, I deal with that a lot less here because we're more used to dealing with people with disabilities here in the United States. Uh, but abroad, you kind of have to mentally prepare yourself to deal with other cultural attitudes towards wheelchair users. And uh, that's a if you expect it, you can deal with it a little bit better. So it's you know it, it's a for me, I try to change people's attitudes one person at a time you know you can't attack the world at once you right. can't you can't do it all at once so by me just being out in public and doing things that everybody else does um it i, I think it, i try to change the societal perception yeah. that a wheelchair user we're just like everybody else we like to we like to have drinks we like to go to concerts we like sports we like to go to restaurants with our friends and go to movies yes um, we enjoyed our meal with our wine that night yes absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, and whether that's here in the United States or it's abroad, you know, in a, in a foreign country, um, I think by example, that's, you know, one of the best way to, one of the best ways to change people's perceptions. But do you, but do you get offended? Like, for example, when someone comes to you and says, uh, what happened to you? How'd you get, how'd you get where you are? Uh, do you get offended or is it just, you, are you recognize they're being curious? I don't know if offended is the right word. You know, I'm, I'm, it's very hard to offend me just because I've seen so many things and I understand the way that, 
that people think and the way that humanity works. You know, if I were to be offended uh, easily, I would, I, would, I would lead a very bitter and sad and angry life. You know, I, I just don't have the time for that. So it's not so much, it's not so much that I get offended. I'm just, I'm just so surprised that, you know, the lack of sensitivity of some people. And most of the time, they're not intentionally trying to be mean or nosy. They're just curious because I'm young. I'm, I'm 43 years old. I'm very thin. And you look at me, and if I were sitting in a regular chair or yes. on a couch, you would never think that there was anything, you know, wrong with me. And you're smart, you're gorgeous, you're a veteran, so you, and you're the full package. Thank so you. I, I'm sure you've completely confused people. Oh, I, I don't know. I, <laughs> I automatically assume, and a lot of times they'll throw stuff out there like, oh, did you have like knee surgery or did you have an accident? You know, they, they never assume that you know, I have some disease and it gets, it always gets awkward. Yeah. So I, I, I just sit there and I think like, do you really want to know the answer when you ask me? Because then I say, oh, I have MS. And the first thing they say is, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, God bless you. Or I'll pray for you. I'm like, why? I'm like, do you have any idea how good my life is? I have for you. three companies, two amazing kids. I travel around the world. Like, please don't. But it's, it's awkward and they're not trying to be mean. It's just, um, I don't know. It's well, just I think it, it just it just speaks to the the whole notion of people um, looking at just in general. P people look at other people, and they decide just by their superficial qualities who they are, yeah. what their background is, what they should be doing, what they should not be doing. And 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 I, I sure that you're you know you're gorgeous and all that because I don't. But pe you probably do not fit the 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 um. The stereotype, I should say, of of of, of what of what somebody in a wheelchair in a wheelchair should look like, or or or, or like. yeah, and, exactly. And 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 so people just get they get so to your point about about intention, they just get so they just they're so discombobulated. They 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 need to ask questions to make sense of it. And, yeah, and, and, that's right. Yeah. And and I and to your point, I think I, I've had stuff where people come up to me and say, "Oh, well, why do you speak like that? You don't, you're speaking proper English. It's not quite the same thing." But again, it's looking at the intention of people and it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's looking at, okay, what's their heart? What is their heart saying? Why are they asking those questions? Right. And sometimes it's well-intentioned. Sometimes it's like, okay, you're trying to be rude. Like the guy who looked at you, yeah. like, 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 as you said, uh, like you're like the like gum in the bottom of a shoe. So I think as you just said, it's like taking each person one, one person at a time. And, and, um, and, um, we all have our stuff that we're just dealing with. Obviously. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I love the fact, again, as I started off, you are strong, you are to be admired. You are brilliant. I just, I just, I just love the way that you handle yourself. I love your business. I love, I love what you stand for. And, and I'm really, really excited and happy that you came on today. Me too. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sylvia. So how can people find you? Well, it's pretty easy. Uh, I have both my blog and then my travel agency. Um, I can book travel for absolutely anybody. That My specialty is accessible travel for wheelchair users. Uh, but my blog is spintheglobe.net. And there you can find tons of resources and articles on wheelchair travel. And then my travel agency is spintheglobetravel.net. Fantastic. Awesome. Okay, so let's, let's kind of recap with this conversation. So this is obviously a diversity conversation that matters. So let's, let's, let's talk about this. So, so, we, so we're talking about uh, the fact that uh, people who, 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 who use wheelchairs spend, or people with disabilities spend $17.3 billion a year. Yep which means that businesses need to wake up, get on board because they're missing out. What else have we learned in this conversation, would you say? That wheelchair users are just like everybody else. We, right. we love others and need love. You know, we enjoy life. We want to get out and about and we want to interact with people. 
And, you know, it's, sometimes it's awkward. You know, people want to stare, want to look. Um, just say hi. You know, don't, don't talk to us like children. Don't look down at us. Don't pat us on the head. Just say hi like you would anybody else. Um, and, you know, don't be afraid to, to get educated on, on what it's like or, or, you know, different conditions that we have or, you know, life in a wheelchair. We just, we, just, we just want to be like everybody else and have access to the same things that everybody else does. Uh, and if we're able to get that, you know, we're, we, just, we just want equality. Well said. Thank you so much, Sylvia. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please go to uh, my podcast page and write a comment. Reach out to Sylvia. She's amazing and she can help you definitely with your travel experiences. Thank you, Sylvia. Great to see you again. Good to see you.